2: Hey podcast listeners, some of you may know that Oprah began having conversations about the deeper meaning of life and the world around us, even in the early days of The Oprah Show.
1: When you
3: look inward, then you can begin to create another kind of power.
2: Because we know you love a Super Soul style discussion. I went, aha. We opened up the vault of The Oprah Winfrey Show to handpick episodes that will enhance the Super Soul podcast library. Every experience in our lives is to teach us to learn to love. Please enjoy this past episode of The Oprah Winfrey Show on Super Soul Conversations. I've traveled to New York City today to meet a most extraordinary man. I'm sitting in the Manhattan apartment of Elie Wiesel. He's an author, he's a scholar, Holocaust survivor. He witnessed unspeakable horrors during World War II as six million people. Jews were wiped off the face of this earth, including his own family. In a recent survey, it was reported that 22% of Americans doubt that there had ever been a Holocaust. This staggering number is frightening. Here is a passage from Knight, his chilling memoir of his life in a concentration camp. Never shall I forget that night, the first night in camp which has turned my life into one long night. Never shall I forget the little faces of the children whose bodies I saw turned into wreaths of smoke beneath the silent blue sky. Never shall I forget those flames which consumed my faith forever, those moments which murdered my God and turn my dreams to dust. Never. I read your book, night, and I think I will never be the same again. I believe that every human being should read it to, to somehow connect and experience what the world stood by in indifference and, and allowed to happen. So I'm very pleased to be able to talk to you. Did you think you were gonna die many times?
3: In those places and in those times we lived in death, not in life. No one was alive. We all lived in a kingdom that was a kingdom of death. Mm. We were dead, but we didn't know it.
2: Why do you think you survived?
3: By accident. By accident? I wouldn't say a miracle. I don't believe in that. You don't? Because, oh, I would say that if God performed a miracle for me. Why for me? There were people there who were better than I, saintlier, worthier, and I've known some of them. Mm -hmm. Why me? No, it was an accident by chance. I I was in some place, not in another. Mm
2: -hmm. Perhaps maybe so you could be alive to tell the story. No.
3: No? That came much later, in Mm -hmm. truth. Mm -hmm. That idea that I had is the idea that we all had, all those who went through. The death camp, that if I survive, I will have to tell the tale, but it could have been anyone else.
2: It is, I, I don't know, it's, it's 50 years later, but still, and I've read a lot of things in history, but night is the most chilling, I mean, I, most chilling I've ever experienced. It is Im, almost impossible to conceive of such inhumanity to man. It's in, almost impossible to conceive.
3: That, that was why it happened to us. We couldn't believe it. If anyone had told us-
2: I can't believe it when I read it. I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. it I mean, I believe it.
3: It's just so hard to conceive. Why should you believe it? Why should you imagine it? How could you imagine it? Because you can't even imagine it. I said once and I repeated it. it was easier for a person inside Auschwitz to imagine himself or herself free than for a person like you to imagine yourself inside Auschwitz. You never will. No one who wasn't there will ever know what it meant being there.
2: From what I read in, in Night, it's worse than you can imagine hell to be, because if you were to imagine hell and whatever the devil, whatever you perceive the devil to be, and the flames and what preachers talk about, the fiery furnace, it's worse than hell.
3: Because hell meant disorder, and there was order inside that kingdom, the kingdom of Auschwitz, there was order. When we arrived there, we saw that it was a society mm-hmm. like ours, with its own rulers, slaves, language, philosophy, theology. That means we had the feeling that another creation existed parallel to God. And in that creation, people did what they were supposed to do. Some people came there to die. Others came there to kill, and day after day, we saw people killing and being killed, and we slept with them. We slept with those who were already on the other side.
2: You slept with the corpses? Of
3: course we did, mm-hmm. and only the next day we realized that they were corpses. And At one point, Primo Levi, who was a very great writer, later he and I spoke about it, that maybe we too were corpses.
2: I want to go back to the time when you were living in the village with your family, when you thought all was well, before you were put on the train to Auschwitz.
3: We thought that when the deportation will come, it will mean simply that we will be taken inside Hungary. No one in the world has told us, has warned us, that there is a place called Auschwitz. Mm. When we arrived in Auschwitz, May 1944, three weeks before D-Day. We didn't know what it meant. If I am angry at times, profoundly angry, it is because we could have been saved. The largest community still alive in Europe, the Hungarian Jewish community, could have been saved, if not in its totality, at least in its great part because the Russians were 20 kilometers away from us. And we saw at night the artillery exchange. Mm-hmm. We saw the fire. We were surrounded by mountains. There were maybe two Germans in our city, maybe 50 Hungarian soldiers, gendarmes, guarding the ghetto. There were Christian women and men who offered hospitality to us. We had a servant, a marvelous woman called Maria and she had a hut in the mountains, and she sneaked into the ghetto, and she pleaded with us, come, she said, come and stay with us. We could have gone and stayed with her and survived, but we didn't know.
2: And when you say we, you mean your father? I mean the, the entire city. Yeah.
3: There were 15,000 Jews in that city. And we but Maria know.
2: came specifically to your family and said, come live. With. Correct.
3: But there yes. were other Marias who went to other yes. places. We know about them. Mm-hmm.
2: So what did you think when you were taken from Siget and then people were really marched out of the town? What did, where did you think you were going?
3: That we would go inside Hungary mm-hmm. into a labor camp mm-hmm. and wait for the end of the war. Mm-hmm. We were told that that would happen and we believed it.
2: What happened once you were put on the trains?
3: It became a home. The the ability to adjust is extraordinary. Uh, People left their homes, went into other homes, smaller ones in the ghetto, and that became home. In the train became home. And actually deep down I had hoped that it would crisscross Europe for days and nights, for months, until the end of the war.
2: And be an adventure.
3: Or at least stay there. Mm -hmm. It it, it was a certain security in in, in that in that train, that wagon, because only people I knew were there. The whole family.
2: How long were you there?
3: Some three and a half days. Mm
2: -hmm. With just the clothes on your back and the knapsack, yes.
3: Half of it was full filled with books, uh, the other half with uh, clothes and.
2: Mm -hmm. because everyone had been ordered to take off all their jewelry, leave their jewelry behind
3: for the soldiers. Many times before Mm -hmm. we had done that.
2: Did
0: you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in store to APIA scholars.
1: an episode and start your journey to greatness today.
2: When you arrived in Auschwitz, can you take us back to that time, that night?
1: There are moments
3: that I have not written about yet. You know, the night that you read is 140, 150 pages. The first manuscript was 864. There are certain things I cannot say.
2: What can you share with us?
3: But I, what I could say is that I had the feeling I was in a nightmare. I was sleeping. I was sleepwalking.
2: Yes, you say in night that there was a moment where you pinched yourself to say, am I alive?
3: For three days and three nights, really, I felt that I was dreaming. I had a nightmare. Not only I, but the whole world had a nightmare. That God's creation went through a nightmare.
2: When you walked in, they split people to the left and to the right, and that was the last time you saw your mother and your sister.
3: Yeah, there were the Germans and their dogs, howling, shouting, barking. And then we reached the place, what we call the ramp. There was an elegant SS officer. You were
2: 14,
3: Later we found out his name, uh, Mengele, famous, infamous Mengele. And he simply, with his baton, he would say right or left. Right meant death. And we went left. And uh, I, I was with my father, and my father at one point said, why didn't you go with mother? Maybe that's better. We didn't know. And I have seen then something which will haunt me to the end of my life, that there were children. And what they have done, they, I mean the enemy, they had dug pits. And since there was no room anymore in the gas chambers, they would throw those children in the flames, alive. That we have seen that and not gone crazy, is that's a miracle. For a while, I thought maybe I was still prisoner of my nightmare. Mm-hmm. But then I met friends, and they, too, remember the same images. And then I found documents uh-huh. corroborating that what we have seen was true.
2: And that was the first night? The
3: first night. At which time I turned to my father at one point. I said, I'm afraid to die in flames. I had ideas, images from history books, the Inquisition, when Jews were put to death because of their belief. Mm -hmm. And they they were burned like witches here on the stake. And I was afraid of that. I said, maybe I should run to the electrified gates and die. But even that was part of the nightmare.
2: The possibility of going to... Everything, the whole way.
3: I should speak to my father like that, mm-hmm. about death. And then I said uh, to my father, it's not true. I don't think it's true. I don't think that this is possible. I cannot believe that even, all this... There, even though
2: you'd seen it, even you'd
3: it. In the shadow of flames. I said to him, I cannot believe that this is true. I cannot believe that this could happen in the heart of Europe, of civilized Europe the middle of the 20th century, and the world would be silent, that was the one thing that bothered me, that more than anything else later on is the silence of the world.
2: Yes, and you say that, that hatred is not the opposite of love. Indifference is.
3: The indifference, that's why you know we created a foundation, my wife and I later on with my Nobel money with some friends. And the reason was to fight indifference. And we have seminars all over the world, anatomy of hate. We try mm-hmm. to, to understand the genesis of hate, the texture of hate, the fabric of hate. Hate, in a way, we know how to fight it. Indifference, how can you fight indifference? Okay.
2: Can you tell us about the last time you saw your mother? Okay. There are no words or images that are, that are strong <laughs> enough to conceive that, that there are people who did this to other people, there just, there just aren't. No matter how good a writer you are, no matter how many times you say the words. And you were saying to me that it's hard now even, you were there, you saw it, and you can't believe it.
3: I believe it, I can't understand can't it. Can't understand it, yes. The enemy was counting on that. He was counting on the fact that in pushing violence and cruelty and sadism and brutality and evil, to its grotesque limits that we, the victims, will be incapable of telling the tale. In one of my books, I have written very few books on the subject. I have written by now some 36 books. Mm -hmm. Night is really the only one which is autobiographical. And maybe two or three on the subject around it. But I cannot because I feel the words are inadequate. But in one of my books, there is an assessment who tries to kill a young student and he tells him, Are you crazy? You want to live? What for? You think he will tell the tale? And people will know. They will listen to you. But they will say he is mad. Your truth is the truth of a madman. And that's what he was counting on. Which is
2: what you know, you describe in the very beginning of night when Moshe the Beatle came back after he had been taken to one of the concentration camps, one of the men who lived yeah. in your village, and came back and tried to tell people this, what had happened, and nobody, they thought he was crazy. You thought he was
3: crazy. I thought but I liked him. You liked him? I, I, I listened to him, and I, I, I loved Moshe. I always speak about him because mm-hmm. I feel he dis- disappeared, he mm-hmm. vanished, mm-hmm. And, and someone at least must remember him. So I, I bring him into every one of my tales. Mm-hmm. That was in 1941.
2: And well, he hungry. came back to tell no, you?
3: No, it happened, he was deported also in 1941. In mm-hmm. ni- I speak about it in, mm-hmm. in, ni- in 1941, many foreign-born Jews were deported to Poland and they were massacred there. He was one of them and he came back. There was no gas chamber yet. It, the whole thing began in 1942, really, with the final solution in Wanze. And he came back and this poor man was trying to tell the tale. Nobody believed him. And I would spend hours with him. I loved to listen to him. I love stories.
2: And you say the enemy counted on that?
3: The enemy counted on the disbelief of the world and the victims. Mm-hmm.
2: So life for you every day, after that first night, I guess you, I don't know, from what I, I, I gathered from reading, you reach a state where you try to leave your body and just let the body be there. And you say that you recognize many times the, the separation of the body from the, the mm-hmm. spirit of who you were. But you lost faith in God there.
3: I didn't lose faith in God, but I rebelled against Him.
2: Rebelled against God.
3: Yes. I I grew up in an environment uh, which was so religious, and myself, I was so religious, that I couldn't break with God or with the faith of God, but I I rebelled against Him. Mm -hmm. I was angry. I still am angry. Uh, I don't understand Him. But then to say that only God was responsible was also Mm -hmm. no answer. But what helped me really there was my father, the fact that he and I were together. I knew that if I die, he dies. So I had to remain alive.
2: And from the first night that you arrived, that became your vow to yourself to not be separated from your father.
3: father. The main thing was my father. He had the same, probably the same uh, desire to stay with me because he thought that without him, I would die. Mm -hmm. And I have never been so close to my father as I've been there. Mm -hmm. Because at home, you know, he was, the intercessor in town, uh, uh, he, whenever a Jew needed somebody or something, he came to my father. And I rarely saw my father, except on the Sabbath. And even on the Sabbath, during the war, the Jews were arrested. He would go and save them, and ransom them, and free them. In the camp, we became terribly close.
1: an episode, and start your journey to greatness today.
2: And in the camp, what was it like day to day? Day to day, could you explain?
1: Today, to we got
3: up very early in the morning because we wanted to sleep. The sleep was the best part of, of, of that life because we we had dreams. And the dreams were good, pleasant, sunny. Really? Oh, we had good dreams, and to dream therefore was was uh, paradise. And then always it was broken abruptly. And we had to go quickly and wash everything quickly. Camp life meant to run, run fast, always.
2: Were you always aware of the ovens, and those who were being taken to the gas chamber? It,
3: we were aware, but we never spoke of it. Mm-hmm. Never spoke of it. We were afraid uh, to speak about my mother or my little sister would move us to, to cry and mm-hmm. we didn't cry mm-hmm. because if you start crying, you wouldn't stop. So you never cried there? In the camp, no. 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 It took me a while even after the war. To cry. What so I wanted really is to cry. The gift I wanted to receive after the war was the, the ability to cry.
2: Mm-hmm. So day to day, you would go, you were working in the camps working, and loading we worked rocks. Together.
3: And we worked together with my father most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I would help him, he would help me. And uh, during work, I, I worked together with a uh, former Head of a Talmudic academy, and we learned together. He knew everything by heart, so we studied Talmud together, the mm-hmm. Bible together, while working. I didn't see his face, only uh, from 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 the back, mm-hmm. but I heard his voice and mm-hmm. we studied. I became a student. I had a teacher, mm-hmm.
2: and so during those days, you would pass the time working and then live to to eat the bread and the soup and and then to sleep
3: that was the main the main preoccupation it's not to sleep but to eat to eat therefore when people speak about theology even myself when i speak later about theology it's not in those days the questions came later a piece of bread there was more important than god and we wanted bread and the question was not really whether god is just or not the question was, what kind of soup are we going to get tonight? Will it be thick? Will I have a larger portion?
2: And through all of this, you survived most of the time with your father. And shortly before you all were freed, your father died.
3: Yes, after we arrived in, in, in Buchenwald, January.
2: The night your father died was the night I was born. It's unbelievable when I read that.
3: Uh, my father was the only person in my life then. And I had to be with him to the end.
2: Were there moments, though, that you wrestled with your own guilt of thinking at times, perhaps maybe, if he is gone, I can only concentrate on my own survival?
3: There was. There must have been. Mm -hmm. Because, you see, the family, in Jewish life, in Jewish history, was a source of survival, the anchor. The enemy knew it, and therefore he used that family relationship, which was so close, that one became also a danger to the other. I was so close to my father that I knew if something happens to him, I would die. And therefore, of course, I'm sure that at one moment I must have thought perhaps it would be better not to be with him. I tell a story in, in night about one father and one son who were separated because the son was running away. Mm-hmm. And I always prayed then I don't want to be like him, with him.
2: Want to be with your
3: father? Of course with my father.
2: And I was saying that your father died January 29th.
3: Yes, you said you were born 10 years later. 10 years later I was born, yes.
2: And so when you were freed, what was the first thing you did? I prayed. You prayed?
3: I prayed. We were then a group of, we were in a block, in a kind of barracks with children, young, youngsters. And uh, the first thing we did, we organized a minyan, which means a kind of community to pray. And we said Kaddish for the first time, which is the prayer for the dead, the first thing. We didn't eat, although we were hungry, we were starving, we were emaciated. But we wanted to pray, it was important to pray, to show God and the world, to show to ourselves that we are still capable of praying.
2: Why do you think that there are people in the world who still don't know what a Holocaust is? or what, it, what happened, that six million, six million, and you hear the term six million, and it, it doesn't register that, there, that that is a mother and a child and fathers and uncles and nephews and cousins. Six million, it's, it's, it's the entire city
3: of Chicago, it's- Norway, it's Belgium, mm-hmm. a whole country, a whole nation banishing in the night. Why people don't believe? Maybe something is wrong with the way we have taught the story. Maybe the story cannot be taught. We tried. God knows some of us have tried. Of course. So even this book, its not. it wasn't easy to write. And believe me, it's not easy to talk about. I rarely talk about mm. And if you convinced me t- to be with you today, it's because also partly because of you, but partly because of the uh, statistics that, that I heard. That yes. means we have to do something more, something better, something else.
2: Do you see America's indifference, the world's indifference in other parts of the world, South Africa, Bosnia? Of course. Mm -hmm.
3: How many years did we fight against apartheid Mm -hmm. and nobody listened to us? Mm -hmm. Uh, My wife and I went and my son, we entered in 1976 to South Africa, fighting against apartheid from town to town. And when we came back, we told the story and people really didn't care that much. They didn't care. As for Bosnia, I... I don't know what else we can do. The children in Sarajevo, the orphans, the the widows, the hunger, the humiliation. We must do something more.
2: You say in the book Night that after liberation, one day you were able to get up. And after gathering all of your strength, you wanted to see yourself in the mirror, hanging on the opposite wall. You said you'd not seen yourself since the ghetto. From the depths of the mirror, a corpse gazed back at me. And the look in his eyes as they stared into mine has never left me.
3: Oh, I left the camp, but the camp hasn't left me to this day, maybe more than before. I remember. And my memory is becoming, day after day, more intense. I remember more than before. Really? Yeah. I, have, I dream more than before about those nights, those days, those weeks.
2: I wondered how could you ever have another happy day? How could you experience joy? How could you you know, look at the world with laughter again after having seen babies thrown into the flames, after having experienced the Holocaust? So how were you able to? to to maintain your sanity, you and so many others who survived.
3: I could turn it around. Mm -hmm. It's because we have seen what we have seen, that when we have reasons to rejoice, we know how. No one in the world has a sense of gratitude the way we express it to ourselves and to others. After the war, I came to France, and I didn't stop saying thank you. Thank you for anyone. Thank you for, for the bread I eat. Thank you for the education I receive. Thank you for the human being for remaining human. And that sense of gratitude prevails today. You have no idea what happiness means to those people who have seen everything taken away from them. When we see a child smiling, I could take that child and hug him or her for hours and hours. Or when we are in love, when we see a beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. And as a father, what it means. For a father to see his son, or to be with my wife, and, and talk, and, and, and go to concerts, and try to help others, which is an important, very important component in our life. You know, to be free is important, but to help others be free is even more important.
2: One of the things that I got from reading *Night* is that the human being can survive anything. You can survive anything. And you said you're not so sure.
3: No. Uh, we survive, but there is something that dies in us. In general, when people die, they don't die alone. Something in us dies with them. I cannot die for them, but I can, I can see to it that when they die, they are not alone and I am present to them.
2: I can't imagine what lessons there are to be learned, six million lessons to be learned from that. What do you think it is?
3: Not to be indifferent Mm -hmm. It's surely one lesson. And then, very simply, I have six million reasons to give up on the world, to give up on any other person, to give up on God, on faith, on literature, on words. And in spite of that, I must have faith in the other person. I must have faith in words, in language. I must have faith. In the possibility of every human being to remain human in spite of everything.
2: I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.